After his wife Abby returned from working on a holistically managed farm in South Africa in 2005, she and her husband Spencer sat down to create their own holistic context statement. In this week's episode of the Nutrition Heretic Podcast, we talk with Spencer Smith, learn what a holistic context is, and how creating one for yourself is important for anyone who wants to engage more meaningfully with their farming, their family, and their food choices. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to nutritionheretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Nutrition Heretic. I'm Adrian Hugh, The Nutrition Heretic, and thank you for being here today. Uh, as you know, last week uh, we spoke with a gentleman named Will Harris of White, White Oat Pastures, and uh, he was uh, talking about uh, regenerative agriculture, how he's brought back this 150-year-old farm uh, that has been passed down through his family uh, to um, farm for the future. His uh, land is now holding nutrients. It's uh, holding water. He's not suffering uh, the way his neighbors who refuse to uh, leave the aggressive pesticide-laden uh, farming practices that are, are so popular in our country. And, uh, you know, he, his farm is thriving. And so today, um, you know, we're going to be talking to someone else, uh, about other aspects of this type of regenerative agriculture and in particular, uh, holistic management. And, and this is a really interesting topic for me because when we talk about our health, people love to talk about mind body connection. And, you know, if the, if the, the gut is, is, uh, not doing well, then the brain can't think well. And then, you know, how the, the soul and the spirituality comes into it. And uh, here today we have our guest heretic, who is Spencer Smith of the Jefferson Center for Holistic Management. And he's going to talk to us a little bit more about the overall connection we have to the land. I think he will at least. And as well as how we can connect better with our food sources, how we can connect better with our intentions for farming. And um, with that, welcome, Spencer. Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you. Nice to nice to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I know we uh, just to let people know we had a he's he's really rural. <laughs> like really out there. Um, and so, uh, we had some, some difficulty getting, uh, connected and he may, um, sound a little bit like he's underwater every once in a while, but that just speaks to the fact that this guy is walking the talk. So, uh, tell us a little bit about the Jefferson Center for Holistic Management, what you do. And, it, you know, what, was I on the right track in saying that this is similar to when people talk about their bodies having this mind body connection and the soul connection and the spirit spiritual connection. Is that what holistic management of your ranch means to you? Um, well, um, I, I guess so, um, but it goes <laughs> a little bit further. Right. So in order to have that, that gut connection with the microbiome and, and everything that's, that's intrinsically there, we also have to remember where that, that microbiome comes from, right? Where, where do we get those, those bugs in our gut that, that give us the health and help our body function correctly right and as it turns out it comes from the soil um and so the the microbiome of the soil and the microbiome of the gut are quite similar and and so there's working that to uh, bring nutrient density and and bring opportunity and increase production and profit for farmers and ranchers who who are really grounded and and working on the land is is kind of what we do Right, right. Uh, we are part of the Savory Institute um, hub network. So we work um, globally with uh, a network of other holistic management professionals to bring this type of uh, agriculture knowledge to farmers and ranchers and people of all sorts all over the world. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I, I beat this to death and I'll probably keep beating it to death until I get somebody who is an expert in this. But um, one of the things that I've been learning since I moved to Hawaii is um, Korean natural farming. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that practice. Uh, but one of the things that we do, and you're talking about the microbiome, and, and one of the things that we do in that is we cultivate the, the molds that are naturally occurring in the soil, uh, to, because that's the, that's those, those white things you see on the, the, uh, tips of the weeds that you pull up, right? And, uh, we're using those to our advantage to create more biodiversity in the soil. And helping those to flourish because those in turn help the crops that we actually want to flourish. Uh, so this is really important to me. Now, one of the reasons why I, I asked about this type of connection um, to the soil is because I, I saw one of your talks and you talked about holistic context. And that's what that sounded like to me, uh, kind of coming up with this statement of how you want to be in relationship to your farm. Can you talk a little bit about that holistic context? Right, right. So a holistic context is simply that, you know, that that statement of truth that's for you. Um, you know, what is it that this life, this operation, this landscape must provide for you um, in terms of your quality of life? And as it turns out, most of us don't ever really sit down and think about that. Mm -hmm. um, but it really is quite empowering and, and helpful to develop an idea of where's my life going to go in terms of, you know, my social life, my um, environment that, that, you know, whether it's um, the one that, that I get my food from, or if I'm in an urban environment, what type of environment must I be in to be safe and secure and, and, you know, feel enriched and fulfilled. And then, um, of course, there's the monetary aspects. 
So, you know, in order to be truly successful and have a sustaining business model, we need to do it within that triple bottom line result. And so that, that in its essence is holistic management. Um, Alan Savory developed it many years ago um, and, you know, started with the idea of a holistic context. And then you test all of your decisions against that context mm-hmm. to develop the future resource base and the quality of life that you want going forward. Right. It's It sounds like essentially what, what every business is told to do, which is write a mission statement. How is this business going right. to develop and then compare your actions to whether or not they're fulfilling that mission uh, statement? Right. So it's even deeper than a mission statement um, because we're looking beyond ourselves and even our business as to what is this landscape, this environment, society, you know, what do we want it to look like way after we're gone? Right. Um, and so when we're, we're developing that, it's how are the decisions I'm making now going to create this opportunity for future generations? And this is this is important, especially for those of us who are parents, right? And grandparents, Uh, we don't want to leave our kids with nothing. (laughs) We don't want them to inherit uh, soil that's so poor that it can't sustain life anymore. Well, yeah, and we're we're almost there now, as it turns out, with uh, you know the way things have been done for the last several years. Um, Our soil is, you know lost most of its life or a lot of the soil has. Um, There's still, you know, a lot of healthy soil and a lot of people that are doing right by their landscape. Don't get me wrong. Um, But when you look at where the nutrient density in our food and our fruits and vegetables has gone over the last 40, 50 years, you know, it's begs the question, why? You know, Mm -hmm. why does carrot now have 25% of the vitamins and minerals that it would have had 40, 50 years ago? Right. And the answer really is how we take care of our soil. Right. Um, It's the biology in the soil that allow for those vitamins and minerals to become plant available. Um, Mm -hmm. Once the plant takes it up, then we have the opportunity to take it up as well. Yeah. And and I I think that uh, for people who can't connect with that idea, it's a good idea choice for them to either go to a remote area, uh, not too far from where they live. For example, if you're in the United States, maybe you go, you know, up some mountain where you know there's some berries or something growing and then compare that to what you get at the supermarket. Or if you're able to travel to another country, I mean, I continuously find just phenomenal food in other countries uh, where the model may not be ideal and it may not be what you're doing as far as holistic management, but there is more of a respect for the rules of nature. And uh, food is just totally different in other places. Have you found that too? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I find a lot of good food here as well. I don't want to right. um, discount all the great work that, that farmers and ranchers do. But, you know, it's, you know, agriculture is taught, you know, very chemically. Yes. Um, you know, you ask your farm advisor or if you're a young farmer or even an, an old farmer and you have an issue, um, you know, where do you go? If you go to the government or you go to an expert in the field, they're going to help, you know, similar as it would be in the healthcare system, help prescribe a chemical treatment for a symptom that you're seeing on your landscape. Right. And uh, all of that has simplified the life in our soil and, and led to further issues. 
I, I think that's a great way of putting it, that it's uh, simplified uh, the life in the soil. So by any chance, do you uh, recall what your holistic context is for your life, for your ranch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, in a nutshell, we want to uh, live in a place that, you know, has lots of biodiversity, fresh air, clean water bubbling out of the springs that, that we have in our, you know, on our mountain. And uh, we want to be able to raise our family and and raise our children in such a way that they can, you know, have every opportunity that uh, that we can grant them. Um, and we want to do this, um, you know, by farming and ranching and teaching our kids to be grounded and uh, respect, you know, the nature and earth and and everything that goes along with it. And we also want to have the ability to offer the most um, nutritious food possible to, you know, them and, and their peers. Right, right. So then how did you, you, what were you doing before holistic management was even a concept for you? What were you doing? Were you, this, this is a, is this a family ranch that you have? Was this passed down to right. you? Right. So, um, well, yeah, my wife and I just moved back to our, our, my family's ranch, um, a year ago. Before that, I was managing, um, ranches in Nevada. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I was utilizing holistic management there as well, um, as a way to, you know, build back the, the, uh, resource, you know, increase the soil's ability to, to grow more, more food, more pasture, um, for the livestock that we were running out there. Okay. But, um, where, where was the trend? Like, was there a transition? Were you doing conventional farming? And then this term that you just needed to investigate came up. I know that your, your wife was involved in a, a trip to, I believe it was the Africa Center for Holistic Management. Right. So Alan Savory, the, the guy that came up with this idea, he's been, um, you know, in the livestock production world, he is, you know, everybody's heard of him and has. And, and there's a lot of people that thought that they understood what holistic management was in terms of, you know, agriculture, livestock production anyway. So, you know, I definitely heard of him. But as it turns out, my wife, when she was um, in college, she was the editor of the college paper. And Alan came and did a talk um, at the university. And at that time, she, you know, at that point, she got the opportunity to interview him for the for the paper. Um, after that, you know, hour long interview, it so profoundly changed her that she said, you know, she thought to herself she had to go find this out. And so he, um, you know, right there, you know, in the in the office where they did the, the interview, they set up an internship. And Abby moved to South Africa for a few months um, and worked on a couple different um, holistically managed cattle farms mm -hmm. in South Africa. Then, uh, you know, she had always been promoting this idea to me. And then when I became the manager of a, of a cattle company in Nevada, um, I was able to start utilizing these ideas and, and uh, increase the, the production and the ability of the land to, to grow more grass and was able to find success with it. And from there, we um, applied to and, and teamed up with the Savory Institute and moved back to the family ranch. And now we offer holistic management training and uh, consulting for farmers and ranchers, you know, kind of all over. Right. So could you give us, without giving away all your trade secrets, <laughs> could you give us a little bit of a, a bird's eye view of what they can expect by going down this holistic management path? And not only results wise, but what does it look like? Is it, is it, uh, um, 
a system of rotation of animals? Is it a system of rotation of crops or, you know, how, how, what's the kind of not one shot, but, uh, encapsulated <laughs> description of how you're, you're achieving so much. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we are for all intents and purposes, mimicking nature. Um, the grasslands of the world, all of these different, you know, forest ecosystems, grassland ecosystems, you name it, all evolved with animals present. So now our current food system has kind of taken that away and gone into monocrop agriculture, mm -hmm. which at the same time has, you know, re resulted in its own problems with, um, you know, pest species and diseases in these, these production type models, which it's very e easy to grow corn if all you're growing is corn, right? But if right. a corn blight comes through and, you know, it can potentially decimate your whole crop for the season. You know, nature hates a monoculture. So part of what we do is that we set up um, production models that mimic nature. It has proven to be the most effective way to turn these landscapes around. Landscapes that are so degraded, that they're really not even recognizable after they've been in holistic management for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, so we utilize livestock, animal impact, and grazing as a tool um, to help revitalize, kind of jumpstart the biology in the soil and create a soil profile that will germinate seeds and that'll allow air and water to infiltrate um, so we can have arable fertile soils. Right. Now, simply in livestock agriculture, um, on pastures, rangeland, and so on. Or it can be used in cropping systems to help bring back and increase the um, cropping potential of say, you know, row crop farms or whatever. Um, but it's, it's basically a way of naturally, um, adding and, and bringing back the soil health and fertility that we need to grow, um, healthy food. All right. So you're, you're bringing the animals back, uh, really just the way I forget what the name of the book is. I should have looked this up before we got on, but there was a, there was a really good book a few years ago that came out a few years ago. And I believe it was like the top 100 species that shaped our planet. And it went from everything from, you say, ants to elephants. And everything in between amoebae and, you know, all kinds of, uh, uh, protozoa that, that affected our landscape and turned the soil into what it is today or what it should be today, what it was until we started destroying it. Uh, so what you're saying is that you're kind of going back to that system of understanding that there is diversity in the soil and that nature doesn't like straight lines. Right. Right. And, you know, you, you've got to, Remember that over the last millions of years, these, you know, plant species evolved with periodic defoliation and that disturbance event that allowed them to flourish. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, the species of, of forages and, you know, roots and vegetables, whatever that couldn't handle that, they left this planet long before we ever came on it. Right. Um, and so when you re-add livestock to that system in, you know, not just in a you know, random way, but in a very purposeful manner, you can increase um, the capacity of the plants and the soil to harvest the sunlight energy and turn it into carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. Those carbohydrates that are being fed into the soil profile that the biology in the soil consume and, and create that um, organic matter or, you know, carbohydrates that we can use above ground as nourishment for ourselves or, you know, food and fiber, or, you know, structure, buildings, whatever. Yeah. So, so you must just laugh at these people who 
claim that or either that or get infuriated by the people who claim that animals are destroying the planet and we need to take, you know, not raise animals if we want to save the planet. Right. And, you know, I don't get infuriated. It's just it's just a very linear view. You know, the the environment is super complex, right? I mean, if you remove one thing from it, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a calculated result. Exactly. If you remove livestock from the landscape or remove grazing animals from the landscape, you know, you're going to end up with overrested plants that cannot flourish. You know, they'll get choked out by their own litter. And in an arid, dry environment um, like the American West, you know, you start to desertify or, you know, like Africa. Right. Places that were green and lush and had great um, dynamic grassland ecosystems are now turning into desert and blowing away um, because of either the misuse of animals or the lack of animals altogether. So you can go and and see what rest does to an environment, especially in the arid West, by going to, say, a national park or something um, that has removed animals, livestock, whatever, from that environment, and you can go and see what does that soil profile look like? Is it open and porous so that plants can germinate and, you know, and recycle those, those nutrients? Or is it hard capped? And is there a lot of bare ground in between the individual mm, plants? Yeah. So is that what happened with the Dust Bowl? Well, the Dust Bowl was a little bit different. Um, and so it's important to remember that, um, yeah, so so what happened with the Dust Bowl? World War One, um, the Allied Front needed a lot of wheat, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, paid all of these farmers and you know kind of to go to you know the Midwest, the the breadbasket of the world, and plant wheat so that they could have it. And they gave them good money and the you know the perennial pastures with roots you know ten feet or you know shoot thirty feet deep, great landscape. They went and they started tilling the soil and they oxidized all of those um, nutrients and a lot of that, that carbon that was in the soil and, and a lot of the biology in the soil and they started planting wheat. So wheat's an annual crop, meaning that it only lives one year. Yes. It's a very shallow root system. With that, they, they tilled and tilled and tilled. And since they were not reincorporating any of that vegetation back, it was kind of an extractive process, similar to the way a lot of agriculture is still done today. So they're pulling the nutrients, pulling all that away from the soil until the soil profile could no longer you know, hold itself together. There wasn't enough roots and vegetation to keep it down. So then they had a drought, nowhere near like the drought that California saw last year. Right. And the wind started to blow. And then all of a sudden, Kansas ended up in New York. And people realize that they really had a problem. Right, right. So in your mind, knowing what you know now, was there something, was was there a smarter way of producing food to avoid that issue? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Yeah, and and, you know, we we know that the same problems haven't gone away. I mean, if you look (laughs) at the amount of topsoil that that erodes and leaves. you know, the Great Plains or the breadbasket of the world today, um, it's astonishing. It's like 10 tons of topsoil are lost for every thousand pounds of food produced or something. I, I can't remember what the exact statistic is. But yeah, our resource is blowing and washing away down the river every year. 
it's not as visible now because we can um, apply chemicals to it and still get a you know a crop of corn, whatever soybeans to grow because but but there's very little biology and nutrition left in that soil profile, and so um, because we can add chemical fertilizers and still get some type of vegetation to grow um, on these landscapes, you know, so that's part of the modern marvels of science, I guess. So, so with your, not your, but you know, with, with what you're doing is maybe a better way to say it. Uh, are you building topsoil? Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the principles of what we do, um, is trying to increase our resource. Um, you know, you've got to understand that for most farmers and ranchers, their land base is the single largest investment that they're ever going to make. Um, and so when you think about it that way, it only makes good sense to try and, you know, build that resource and build that investment as you go. So what we're doing with holistic management, mimicking nature and building topsoil through biological means. And as things have gone on, we've been able to learn exactly how these things have, have happened and how evolution has brought you know, these opportunity to us um, and we can mimic it. And so rather than the wolves chasing the bison around the, the country, we can do things a lot more deliberately and, and increase our soil organic matter, nutrients, um, plant available nutrients in our soil profile and, and create a lot of opportunity. And that right. in itself um, is a part of the reason why, um, you know, listed management producers are, you know, doubling, tripling production and, profitability on you know their farms and ranches right so it's it's well worth uh the investment does it take you longer or is there any any undesirable part of the the way that you farm because the excuse is that Um, sorry i was just going to say that the excuse is that uh the chemical way is easy you just throw the chemicals out there and which when I talk to some uh, just regular, so to speak, organic farmers, they say, no, when I did the, the conventional stuff, I had to make sure I sprayed after every rain and I had to do this on this schedule. Is it that rigid or is it more forgiving? Oh, no, it's it's a lot more forgiving. Yeah, once you get started, it's, it's you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. And, you know, you got to make sure that you're, you know, what's happening is happening deliberately. Um, but yeah, you're just kind of the orchestrator of, of the events and, you know, allow things to happen. And once you know, kind of, you know, how to build soil, how to increase your resource, um, you know, it's a a pretty easy way of going about business. Right. About how much topsoil do you think that you're, you're building per, per year? Um, well, that is, you know, that, that's a great question. So there's several different ways to measure soil building, right? So it could be the decomposition of litter on top of the soil, how much. Um, so that would be like building soil decomposition pathways. Mm-hmm. And another way to do it is by, um, you know, managing for the healthiest perennial grass crops, uh, grasslands that you can. So the perennial grasses produce roots that go really deep. 70 to 80% of the carbon that those types of plants um, produce goes below ground, either in roots or in root exudates. Um, so the roots are always trickling a little bit of that carbohydrate, a little bit of that plant sugar out through their roots to feed the biology in the soil. Mm. With holistic management, part of what we do is we time our impact to those plants so that we, we defoliate or stress those plants at just the right time so that they have the maximum amount of carbohydrates in them. 
Okay. Um, and so then when you do that, you stress that plant, it exudes all carbohydrates into the soil profile. And so that's mm. the liquid carbon pathway. So all huh. those roots are bound together by mycorrhizal fungi. Um, and that's kind of like the, the highway system or the internet for plants that allow one plant to supply, you know, sugars or nutrients to another. Um, and to where you can really get that great bond between all of your plants and let them, uh, they, you know, share antioxidants and, you know, defense mechanisms and, you know, nitrogen and all the other things that they need to have a healthy um, grassland ecosystem. So doing that, pumping all the carbon below ground, build soil as well. And so you can measure the amount of soil carbon or humus that you build in your soil um, going on through the years. Right. So you can, you can measure it from the depth at which those plants are growing. Is that what you're saying? Sorry, you had a little break up there oh, toward in, in the middle. No, it's not. I know that you're rural. So we're, we're being extra forgiving with you. <laughs> I just want to make sure right. that I'm understanding where you're going with this. Right. So the, uh, so the deeper the roots go, the deeper you're making your, um, you know, your topsoil horizon, right? Um, so your topsoil, you know, different between your topsoil and subsoil is largely the depth of your roots. So you can control that and push that down that way and increase your, your resource that way. Um, the other way is through uh, the root exits of those plants moving through the um, fungi and being decomposed and turned into a organic matter. And that can be measured by doing soil tests at different depths and uh, calculating how much um, soil carbon or organic matter is in those those different samples. Okay, so you can so you can also do that by by testing for the you said the soil carbon, right? And soil okay. carbon is hugely important um, because each percent in soil carbon that you increase, um, per inches will hold twenty um, twenty five thousand gallons of water. So if you can take your, you know, your landscape from, you know, 2% to 6 or 8% carbon, you can hold, you know, hundreds of thousands more gallons of water per acre um, per six inches of topsoil. Wow. That's incredible. So, so then, so then I have to ask, uh, given you're in California, California went through a tremendous drought. Uh, you're, you've been getting a lot of rain pretty much since the beginning of the year, but you're not out of the woods yet. How did your farm fare? Well, every, you know, everybody was up in arms about the almonds and everything else that was sucking water. <laughs> yeah, our place fared pretty well. In fact, um, we did our baseline monitoring two years ago, which was and, you know, part of that terrible drought went into last year was you know, an even worse drought, worst drought in history. Um, from year over year to changing management, we were able to increase our production by about 30 percent, um, which is pretty astonishing. And then results this year, since we did all of that um, work, it's all those benefits. Um, we have had so far a tremendous spring and a lot more um, plant density and, and healthier pastures due to it. Okay, sorry. I'm going to repeat what I heard you say again because you're starting to break up uh, more than you were at the beginning of the conversation. But you were saying that you were during the drought, you were increasing by thirty percent per year. Is that what you said? Production? Yeah, grass production. That's that's what we did in in one year. Um, so that was pretty during good. a drought. Now, you know now <laughs> so, I, now our pastures are healthier. Yeah. 
Wow. That's, that's, in, that's incredible. And then, uh, by the, not only in terms of, and this is, I'm pulling this from what I, when we had the discussion with Will Harris last week, but not only in terms of being able to withstand the drought, but when there's a flood, I'm, I'm assuming that your soil knows how to handle heavy rains. Maybe not a flood flood, but, you know, when, right. when you get heavy rains that would flood maybe your neighbor, your soil probably is a little more ready to hold, to, to accept that water. Right, right. And uh, so we haven't had the opportunity to experience those kinds of rains yet here, but hopefully when they come, we'll uh, really get to test that out. Um, one guy, a guy in North Dakota named Gabe Brown, he's a farmer, holistic management um, practitioner. He took his soil from less than 2% to over 10 on his farm in Bismarck. Holy mackerel. With that, they had a, yeah, and they had a 13 inch rainfall in six hours. Dang. And I was talking to him and he, he was doing a slideshow or a presentation at an event that I was at. And uh, he had no flooding, no overland flow. Um, all that water went into his soil and he was able to keep it and grow crops on it. All the rest of his neighbors were completely flooded out and had to go, um, you know, apply for, you know, their, their losses to their crop insurance. That's, that's insane. But I mean, it's insane good, <laughs> but it still uh, just goes to show yeah, that it, with a, a little wisdom, uh, you can really, uh, it's, it's not about fighting mother nature. I think this is the problem that, that, uh, agriculture has taken and as well as the healthcare system. We're always trying to, to, uh, supersede, fight, uh, work against nature and, and assume that n nature always has, uh, has it out for us. But instead, your system sounds like you're learning to work with it in a holistic way. Right, right. So we're, we're mimicking nature and, and doing it very deliberately so that we can see the benefits and build resiliency into our landscape. So take that type of a model and expand it. The um, Savory Institute has a global goal of reaching a billion hectares of grassland. With that, we can feed far more people. We can right. produce economic stability to societies and rural communities all over the world. And uh, we're, we're having a great time going down the path and seeing a lot of positive effects from it. Right. So, so what is, um, if somebody were to start today, any, I mean, I, I know it's going to depend on where they're starting from obviously, as far as how depleted the soil is, how barren the soil is. But w let's just take random desert in Africa. I don't even know where to, <laughs> where to start or, or national park, like you said, these, these dead zones in the national parks. Uh, yeah, and take that. How long till they start to know that they're, they're, uh, you called it a sequestering carbon, correct? Yeah. So that is part of it and that's you know naturally what happens when plants are photosynthesizing right they're they're pumping those carbohydrates into the soil which then are decomposed by the biology of the soil and turn into you know soil organic matter soil carbon um so yeah how long before a landscape starts to turn around you know depending on what type of landscape we're starting with um it can happen pretty quickly it's just i mean it's a deliberate move and um 
you know, part of it is learning how to monitor for and understand what the landscape is telling you in the first place. So by looking at what types of vegetations are there in the beginning, um, it will help you learn and make a plan um, to figure out how to utilize that resource and then, you know, reincorporate as many vitamin or uh, the, the nutrients in the mineral cycle as possible. Break mm-hmm. that soil crust up so that the air and water can infiltrate. Um, and then all the, all the time you're, you know, you're adding the um, biology and the, the nutrients from the dung and the urine of the, the animal. And very quickly, you can see new and higher succession plants start to germinate and reincorporate um, those those desert lands. Right. Well, I, I had to ask the question because we are in this immediate society where you know you go on a diet, you lose three pounds, gain back one, and then decide that the diet doesn't work because you gain back one pound, and you know then you just quit that day, right? So, and the same thing. Right. You, you can see I've been through this, right? So, uh, but you know the same thing with uh, farming or or you know, something else. Oh, I saw a weed. Well, this doesn't work. So now I've got to just scrap the whole thing and start all over again with something else. Right. We we um, we want this immediate gratification and we see just anything that we associate as being bad and we don't continue. We we want to abandon it. So, you know, like best case scenario, worst case scenario, what are we looking at? Five months to two years, three weeks to eight months. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like I say, so three weeks might depend a, a lot on where you're starting and, uh, you know, what time of year it is. Right. Um, but no, within, you know, you, you will see positive um, ramifications to your actions, certainly within a year, um, if you start managing this way. That's um, fantastic. You know, there are, right, I've heard other folks talk about um, doubling and tripling production in less than five years. Uh, on a landscape. So that's forage production, which, you know, in turn, you know, moves on to how much resource you can market and also how much, you know, carbon you can be incorporated in the topsoil and, and build that resource for, for future years. So, yeah, you know, everybody's different. And that's where the whole context comes back into it because you can apply these same principles to any type of agriculture production or any type of production period. It's, it's a, a great system. So to say that you can turn this landscape around in three weeks, two months, two years, um, certainly we could say that. But what we first need to ask is what are we trying to create? Because oftentimes we do as an immediate society take actions you know we're really great at taking actions and making decisions but are they taking us where we want to be um and so really the the hardest part of starting to manage holistically is first of all sitting down and articulating what it is that you want you know this life this landscape to provide for you going forward um, right. once you've done that then then you can start making decisions that will you know, heal your landscape, increase your, you know, your crop production or forage production and, and uh, <clears throat> get you into a better place. Right. So it's keeping your eye on the prize, really. You, you, uh, it's a little bit, uh, Martin Luther King, I have a dream, right? You, <laughs> you set that intention and that's your framework that you're always coming back to. Right. Right. And you, uh, go ahead. I was going to say that you measure up perhaps everything, every action you take back to that statement. You can always come back home to this statement and decide, okay, 
does the is this going to achieve that goal? Right. Yep, that's exactly right. And we have a set of, of testing questions um, that help you make those decisions in the first place. Um, okay. And, and is that part so of what you, you do? You lead you lead people during the in the courses that you give, you lead people through that line of questioning to to help them really get to the core of, of what they want and uh, what they envision for their future. Right. Um, I do do that. Um, but also once they've done that, the, the testing guidelines really come into play when they're looking at individual actions. So is this action I'm taking going to address the root cause of the problem or just a symptom of a problem? Most of the money, time, and energy spent on a farm is dealing with symptoms. And I, I think that probably could go across um, cultures or across um, disciplines and can be seen in healthcare and in education and, and into a lot of different parts of society. But you look at a weed and you think that's a problem. When really the weed is just there because we have created a void in the ecosystem that that weed has a particular um, ability to fill that niche. So rather than seeing that weed as a problem or as the problem, Let's look at what caused that space on our farmer ranch to, you know, be open to that type of a, of a thing um, that we view as a pest species. And so, of course, that all goes back to the soil. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I was going on weeds tangent. Sorry about that. But no, that's uh, okay. <laughs> what happens or what, what germinates um, in your field, in your lawn, in whatever um, you know, there's thousands of seeds per square foot on all of this soil, right? Mm-hmm. But not all of them germinate every year. Why not? Well, part of the reason is the soil biology, and that goes into this idea of succession. Um, so if your soil is simplified to where it's totally bacterial dominate, you're going to start, like, if it's really bacterial dominant, you're going to see tap-rooted annual species. Your thistles, mustards, you know, your, your weeds that people spend a lot of time in uh, trying to get off their farm. Right. Then if you move up the ladder a little bit, you're on a kind of a annual grassland succession. And so that is predominantly bacterial dominated soil, but there's still a little bit of, of fungal attributes to it. And so that would be farmers that are farming like corn and wheat and things like that. And that's why farmers in annual production farm or till soil up quite a bit before they plant their seeds because they need to knock back the attributes of the soil profile so that their grain crops can germinate ahead of, you know, maybe a higher succession plant like a perennial grass species that, you know, could potentially outcompete the annual crop. I was. Uh, I just wanted I to say, so does that mean that you are not doing any tilling in your system? I personally, um, on this farm, don't. I, we utilize no-till technology. Now, I'm not saying that holistic managers don't utilize tilling. Um, you can utilize all the tools in the toolbox, including, you know, tillage and technology, you know, all the technological advances that that uh, farming has to offer. Um, I'm not at all, you know, <laughs> saying that, that we've got to go back to doing everything by hand. Uh, but it's important to know what the ramifications of those, um, you know, farm stimuluses are to your resource and to your soil. Um, so yeah, I'm not anti-till by any means, but we on this particular farm um, don't do any tillage. 
when we do crop and we, we utilize no technology. So right there, that's a huge time saver because that's probably the one thing people hate the most is the tilling. Right. And, uh, but, you know, again, if I was to go into annual crop production, um, you know, tilling would then be a viable option because I would have to simplify that, that soil to move into the succession to where the life of the soil would, would trigger those seeds to germinate ahead of um, something else that, you know, may be less favorable in that, that farming context. Right, right. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I want to let you go, um, before we completely lose you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I did have a question, actually, a couple of questions, uh, from one of our listeners. Uh, his name is Ravi Sankar Takuru. He's in India and he wants to know what's the cheapest way of getting healthy food from a farm? Can, is this going to cost people a lot to get started? Or is it something that uh, no. can you know is, is very reasonable? Yeah. Maybe even you know just low cost. For example, many of the things that we use in Korean farming uh, are things that you would just find in your kitchen anyway. Right. Fish guts. Yeah. So no, it is very low cost agriculture. I mean, it is you know you don't have all of the on farm inputs. It's more about um, proper planning and um, well thought out um, actions. And, you know, timing when you add that stimulus to the environment so that the natural balance works within itself. So the the biology and the, you know, everything on the farm is part of healing itself rather than going in and buying external resources and, and plugging it in. So, no, it is very um, easy to do on a budget. Okay, so there's, so there's no real, um, there's no real you know, startup cost um, then. No, it's just it's just learning how to um, you know learning how the the biology works and how the ecosystem works, and then utilizing your what you've already got um, to take your resource um, into your you know you, to design the future resource base that you want. Um, right. So yeah, and I've helped people on small scales with you know backyard gardeners with rabbits. Um, you know, and vegetable production all the way to people that are um, farming in, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres. So it, uh, it, it crosses all disciplines and, you know, scales, you know, in all environments. Right, right. Now, he had a second question, but I think we answered that already, which is how to create uh, climate resilient agriculture. So the crops that can withstand the heavy rains and severe s- sunshine. And, uh, I think that's, we pretty much covered that in saying that it's once we, you, uh, recreate the, the health of the soil, then it can nourish the plants sufficiently to withstand the sun, for example, or absorb those heavy rains so that you're not getting everything washing away. Right. And then, of course, polycultures, right? So each of the different plants um, in your production system add a different type of, you know, sugar, carbohydrate to the soil, which feeds different biology, um, which then make different nutrients available to the plants and improves the entire, um, you know, resource across the board. So, yeah, so polycultures and healthy soil are you know, mimicking the, the natural way that, that um, plants have grown for millions of years um, tends to be the, the best way to grow plants now. 
Right. That's, uh, that's, uh, fantastic. And that's, uh, that's one of the things that I've learned as far as we talked about weeds before is that the weeds give us a lot of clues and give us a lot of, um, understanding about what their role is. Like you said, they're, they're, we, we consider them a pest, but, and, and they will, uh, fill a niche or become opportunistic, uh, when the conditions are right. But, uh, that's also giving us some, uh, some information about our soil that we can use to our advantage when we understand it. Uh, so that's, um, that's powerful. Um, I'm not sure. See, now that I have this question, I wasn't going to ask you, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask you because our last person didn't really know how to answer it. I'm still not hundred percent sure. I understand what it is. Do you know what the heck a tender is? <laughs> it's, it's a, a, tender? It's a tender, not, not like chicken tenders, but, uh, uh, a, a sprout that I guess is like a six inch plant grown in a medium. So I'm, and then I mm-hmm. asked her if it was more like a, like a plant start. I don't know if that's the Canadian, I don't know if, if tenders are the, the Canadian word because she's in Canada for a start, starter plant, but she wants to know what, what's a good medium to grow uh six inch plants in. So when you're, you know, I guess when you're starting at the farmer's market, let's say you, you wanted to, um, you know, you buy in those little pots, uh, what would be in a, a suitable medium that would be holistic in nature? Would it just be creating that soil in your, on your property and then using that soil straight? Do you want to incorporate something else? Right. So, um, yeah, so there are a couple different, she may be talking about fodder. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, fodder is about six inches and you, you know, you put it in a tray and you sprout like, you know, barley seeds or whatever for juicing. And, you know, a lot of people are into the fodder systems. Um, or, you know, she could be start, you know, talking about starting young plants and, you know, the, the best medium for growing anything is healthy soil. So, um, yeah, I would figure out what it was that I was, you know, trying to accomplish. Um, and then start going down the path of, of creating a soil profile. Either it was, you know, you know, in a greenhouse or, or, you know, out in your pastures to start the plants that, that you're after. Um, but yeah, by all means, the, the best medium for growing, you know, plants is, is healthy soil and you can use, you know, compost and biochar and manure and all types of different ways to add fertility to small plots, or you can use purposeful management um, to add fertility and, and increase the resource over large landscape. Right. Because when, when people normally do starts, they are buying these bags of topsoil and then they got the peat moss that comes down from Canada and they've got perlite and vermiculite and all these things, which as far as I understand, they, they, their purpose is to some extent really just to keep the containers themselves light. Uh, not necessarily for nutrition. They, I guess some of them also hold water better than just the straight up topsoil that they're selling you uh for someone who doesn't yeah so a lot of that stuff in that the bag mixes is um you know decomposing organic matter right so it's a lot mulch and um composted goods that's why it's so light is it's you know a lot of carbon in it and that's also why it holds so much water Um, and then you know a lot of the other things that are added to it have calcium and and uh um, a lot of different nutrients um, there for your plant to to take up. 
Right. So if somebody is doing this uh, from, let's say they're doing it in a greenhouse, uh, they can take that soil from their healing land, landscape, to grow, because that, that I would think it would be ideal. Uh, otherwise, if they don't have, you know, let's say they're, they're, they live in the city and they still want to do some kind of planting gardening on their windowsill. Is there, is there a solution that is mm -hmm. less plastic intensive and less Monsanto reliant <laughs> that they can uh, go to? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So they can go and, uh, you know, just recycle their own kitchen waste and have a little compost um, situation, you know, that would definitely feed their, their uh, windowsill gardens and, and small, you know, situations. Um, you know, they're all that, you know, the kitchen waste as far as the you know, leftover kale or, or whatever, you know, that's very high in vitamins and minerals, right? That's why we eat it. Right. Uh, but if we allow it to biologically decompose in, you know, say a compost manner and then add that to our flower bed or to our greenhouse starts, we can then add, you know, basically um, very similar um, good nutrition and, and attributes to that, you know, either potting soil or soil that you just dug up and you need to add some fertility to. Right. Uh, yeah, I would start with utilizing grass clippings and and just about everything um, that's biological in nature, you know, is made up of carbon and, and a lot of other nutrients um, as well. And all those Fantastic. things need to be recycled into the soil profile. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Spencer, for uh, spending time with us today and giving us uh, a really good uh solid grasp of what you do there. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the different types of courses that uh, you offer uh, before we go? Just, uh, I know that your website is jeffersonhub.com. Uh, any any uh, tips on, you know, the, just the different types of uh, courses and things you can help people along with and how much of this can be done remotely versus having to come to the ranch? Right, right. So actually, I travel around quite a bit and help people and and uh, put on workshops. Um, but yeah, so our our workshops are you know a general introduction to holistic management, which goes um, into how these ecosystems function and how to help them function in a healthy way. Um, Plant grazing, how to get your your livestock, your animals of whatever variety to the right place at the right time to increase the the uh, soil's potential to, you know, be healthy and, and produce more forage of food. Um, financial planning, how to make sure that your, you know, your farm business or, or you know, whatever your financial system is, is um, profitable every year. Um, and then monitoring, biological monitoring, which really digs in deep into how ecosystems work and how to manage for health ecosystem function. Um, and yeah, so those are the the main in-person courses. I also do um, some consulting work, and then we have online courses off through the Savory Institute as well. Um, and if you send me an email or reach out to us on the, the website, we can certainly answer any of those questions. And then, of course, also I've got a, a vast network of people producing the very finest um, grass-fed finished beef, um, you know, pork, chicken, lamb, and mm. as well as, as vegetables products all over all over the west so 
if that's something that anybody's interested in, please have them reach out and we will get them in contact with people that are really doing things purposefully. Great. Yeah, well, we, we're definitely going to have your link on our website at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. And uh, the you can go directly to Spencer's website, which is jeffersonhub.com. Sign up for his uh, email newsletter. And I believe uh, if people sign up for Savory Institute courses via your website, you have a coupon code for them, correct? They can save about 10%, I think, on the courses. That's right. That's right. And that's all things that I think the Savory Institute offers. I think uh, we have a, a coupon code or a discount code that, that we can help out with. So Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. You yeah, have been gracious putting up with me having to ask you two and three times <laughs> what you just said. But <laughs> I, you've been a great sport. Thank you so much. Don't let this opportunity slip you by, folks. It's, uh, this is, uh, especially if you're parents and, and you want to, uh, preserve land for your, your children in the future, uh, go check out, uh, Spencer's stuff at jeffersonhub.com. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks! Thanks!